Welcome to the Safe and Sound Protocol podcast, a polyvagal theory informed therapy. I'm your host, Joanne McIntyre. Here we talk everything polyvagal and SSP related. Dr. Porges has provided us with a revolutionary framework for understanding the connection between our autonomic nervous system and behavior. The SSP acoustic intervention is an exciting new therapy helping people all around the world. This is episode number two. Today I'm speaking with Kimberly Grace, an amazing mum who gave her heart to adopt an energetic little guy. Kimberly tells her personal journey to help her son who was experiencing many challenges. The Safe and Sound Protocol created such an improvement that she felt compelled to share her story with others. She created a Facebook parent Safe and Sound Protocol information forum, which is an amazing resource. Welcome and thank you so much for coming and um, being part of our early days for our Safe and Sound Protocol podcast, a polyvagal informed therapy intervention. And so, yeah, I'm really happy that you're here to share your story to help others learn more about the Safe and Sound Protocol. So I thought what we'd just start with, since, um, you know, we may have some new listeners and they may not have seen your uh, YouTube video where you posted your personal story of, of your son's experience when he you know, went through the Safe and Sound Protocol. So I was just wondering if you could maybe share that story with us again and, and we can maybe unravel it a little bit deeper um, as we go as well. So... Um, so with my little guy, he has a significant amount of developmental trauma, many diagnoses that come along with being in the foster care system. Um, when he came to us, we knew when you adopted him, um, we adopted him about three and a half. He came to us at two and a half. So it was about a year of him being with us. Um, he had already, he had been in the foster care system since about eight months, um, and, you know, typical, typical of moving around and um, for different reasons. But when, when he came to us, we, we, we immediately saw a lot of the behaviors that we had concerns. I knew that they were not typical um, and that we were in for quite a bit of a struggle and hopefully a lot of healing. And thankfully, a lot of healing has come. And I know that we wouldn't have gotten that without the safe and sound protocol. Um, I never thought that we would be where we are now. Um, so, I mean, he used to be extremely aggressive, um, multiple meltdowns every day, um, really rages at the time um, where they could last one to two hours, um, a lot of self-harm, the anxiety, um, extreme sensory seeker, you know, all of that comes with being in that fight flight, um, aggressive with not just adults, but other kids, um, other, there's typical attachment type behaviors that were exhibited at the time. You know, I don't go into a whole lot of detail, but, uh, some extreme things. And when, you know, we were in therapies and we had had evaluations and really the only, even at two and a half and three years old, we were trying to have us put them on medication and 
telling us that really he just needed behavioral therapy, that that was all that we could really do to help him. And I, you know, um, as much as I seek, I sought after help, that is really kind of what I thought too, because that's what we were being told by the professionals is that there really was no hope. You needed to expect that it wasn't going to get better. And that's what we were told time and time again. And I know that that's because that's what those professionals have experienced, but there is so much hope out there. And I know that now, and I try to share that because uh, the changes we have seen were profound. I never would have thought we saw what we would see in five hours of listening to simply, simply put music, which we know it's not that simple, but um, to see the changes. What you're sharing there in terms of, yes, the professionals giving their, their advice based on their framework. And, and I think what is thankful is that slowly more this knowledge base of this bottom-up approach is starting to kind of weave its way through, you know, different you know, professional groups, but you know, obviously more allied health in terms of realising that, you know, that there's an underlying, you know, cause in our nervous system that is often contributing to the behaviours that we see uh, exhibited. And if we can get to the root and help regulate the nervous system, then we see such bigger change, you know, that, yes. And I think things like this, this, this podcast is going to help share that information of having this more of this bottom up or different, different pathways into the nervous system to help tackle the sort of symptomology of the behaviors that you see. Definitely. And, uh, you know, I see it more and more. I mean, even the therapist that I might not have um, received the help that I needed at the time or that got us to where we are now, they're, be, they're already just in two years passing. There's more knowledge in their, in their arena, I should say, um, or field. Um, yeah, definitely. They, they're more open. Like when I've shared my son's story of how we have received healing, they're not just pushing us aside and they, they are open to listening to how these changes came about and they're looking into it and it, it, it's amazing mm-hmm. because it will help others and they do refer people to so um, hear about the the safe and sound protocol um when my little guy was in ot it, it was with uh, an ils practitioner that had the focus system mm-hmm. and she did I didn't really know, I had heard about a listening protocol, but didn't really know anything about it. And so she, when she asked me about it, I was like, sure, please try it on him. And when he came out of the session, he just laid down on a chair and I thought he was ill because this is my son who we would bring into any office setting, any, even a setting that he was familiar with. And he literally would climb the chairs, go under the chairs, run out we'd have to lock the doors the moment we came in we would put they had key locks for the other doors inside there because he was constantly trying to elope um climb over they had like a um a window you know into their um, offices and he would try to climb through that window constantly and anytime you try to block that it was aggressive you know not just with me but but them it was just hard and then here he comes, he's coming out of there and he just lays down in this chair and we're, you know, we're both kind of beside ourselves. And the only time I have ever seen my son that calm, even here at home was 
when he was sick, maybe twice. Mm-hmm. So I just assumed, and he said he felt fine. I took him to his other therapy appointment, and um, the day they finished out, and they said he was really calm, but he said he was fine. You know, they thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. So didn't think much more after that, and then the next week we went back, and the same thing happened, and I knew right away. I was like, this is whatever it is you're doing, and so um, I went home, and I researched it. Mm-hmm. Um, immediately and it was the calming sessions that she was doing on him. Um, mm-hmm. and so um, that's when I started researching it and then I saw on the ILS website the safe and sound protocol mm-hmm. and I, I knew right away I wanted to try that as well and she had not had the training at the time but she did do the training um, I did end up going with a different provider just because they didn't have the the means to do it at the time, but that's how I found it. Mm. And the hard part was that I could not, there was information on ILS website, but I really, other than the research behind it, I couldn't find anything from parents or providers even at the time about the protocol. So I didn't know what to expect from it. it you know, the website is very, right. you know, yeah. they don't go into great detail of what you could expect. So. Um, but I just knew I had to try it. And so that's, that was, we finished it October 31st of 2017. Okay. So it was not long before the lease are made available to, to practitioners to start to offer as, offer as. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, I think it was like a few months earlier that it was available. It was really new. Yeah. So I'm sure that was another kind of revelation of, motivated why you wanted to start the parent Facebook group, which we're going to get to a little bit later. I want you to first finish telling your story and your experience and what you really noticed with your son. But because you're right that when parents, there's so many therapies and so many interventions out there and, you know, a parent, you know, often you know, needs to put financial resources towards something as well. And there've been lots of disappointments and, um, and so families like to connect with other families to sort of see what their experience was with an intervention. And so they know this is really worth putting that investment in. And I know that's what the Facebook group really helps with as, as well. So, yes. yeah. So let's backtrack up to, um, <laughs> and that's okay. We can go back and forth, but so you didn't really find any resources, and um, but you decided, yes, you've seen your son respond to an acoustic intervention. Let's see how the protocol goes. Yes. Um, I found uh, ILS did have a support group um, on Facebook, and but it was, you know, it was, there still was nothing about the SSP really at the time on that group even. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and but I found Doreen that that's who I, you know I asked questions on there and I found Doreen and she was so nice um she 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 spoke with me over the phone mm-hmm. and she you know encouraged me to try it and when we did go through it we had some some concerns because again I didn't know what to suspect or, or expect I should say um so when I had those concerns, again, she talked to me and it was just really important that I had her because my practitioner that I used, she was, she was brand new to the SSP as well. And so just another reason why that, that group was created. So let me just sort of explain a little bit for our listeners. So Doreen Hunt is an occupational therapist and an ILS instructor. 
and was pretty much in the lead of really taking on the Safe and Sound Protocol when it was first made available to practitioners. And um, I'm not sure now, but like in the early days, I mean, she's probably put close to a thousand kids and, and adults through the, the protocol. So she really was a great resource to help learn how different kiddos were responding to the intervention and then how we've learned since, you know, its initial release, how to sort of make modifications to the protocol. So she is a great resource and I know that she is very giving off her time. So I'm glad that she was able to yes. be helpful. And she's just a lovely person. So she, for our listeners, she, um, Doreen's going to be on the podcast um, in the next couple of months. So we'll be um, getting as much information as we can from her. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, was a definite source of comfort and knowledge that I needed at that time. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I added her to the group. And when it started, you know, I definitely needed her because she had all the knowledge um, just informing everyone. Mm-hmm. So tell us what you noticed with your son as you completed the protocol that first time. Um, when we first completed it, the very first day, it, it might have been the second day, it's been two years now, um, he went through the first day just fine, maybe a little more hyped up. He was a very hyperactive child to begin with. Um, but what I noticed is that he suddenly, while we were listening, started drawing with me. Mm. Um, I had like a little magnetic board. And this is a child that if we tried to get him to s- draw the simplest shapes, he had no interest and wouldn't do it. Um, and suddenly he did a heart and he would just do anything that I did and with ease. Um, didn't think too much of it other than I was a little shocked. Um, Day two or three, I noticed that he, you know, he was already affectionate, but he was extremely affectionate. And, you know, we know now that that's one of the first things that people usually see is you see an increase in in affection. And um, we, at the same time, started seeing he was already very aggressive, but it was just amped up, even when I thought that... um, didn't know that it could be, and, uh, you know, times got, you know, it got a little scary, but it was more so because I did not know that it was normal, or it could be normal, and at the time, we didn't know that it should have been slowed down for him. He is a child that definitely needed it slowed down, um, so we, we did take a, a day break, but we probably should have raked more, and I know that now, and we definitely approach it differently, but um, just seeing a heavy increase in aggression and irritability um, and emotional dysregulation altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I think it was f- exactly five days after finishing the protocol, mm-hmm. we suddenly just had a different child. Mm-hmm. Um, he was still hyped up, but suddenly he was able to regulate his emotions. He was able to accept no Um, anytime we said no in the past. It just, or even not saying no, but approaching it with that, not getting his, what he desired, it would turn into a meltdown with aggression. Um, He was able to process cause and effect 
in the moment where before those connections were not possible because he was always dysregulated, literally just. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, again, very affectionate, but also empathy. He had gained some empathy um, during the year of attaching to us, the first year of attaching us. He had no empathy, right. really, none at all, for animals or humans. And it was definitely a process, and he had some empathy, but he definitely gained some more um, after doing the SSP. Mm, that is I'm sorry, what was that? That emotional intelligence coming online. Yeah. Yes, making all those connections and uh, his anxiety, which I don't believe I spoke about in the first um, video testimony that I did, but he used to fear that people were outside watching him, always want the blinds closed, always had to have the door shut, even to whatever room he was in. Um, just always feeling that there was somebody there, be it sounds or so, um, that stopped. So about polyvagal, so he was constantly in that sort of state of, of, of unsafe, of perceiving threat where threat didn't yes. exist. His whole nervous system was wired to be hypervigilant and over, yeah, over perceiving yes. threat where it was, in his mind, obviously, he was perceiving it. Yeah, poor little guy. Mm. Definitely. Um, other changes that we saw were, um, sorry, trying to make these connections in my mind, um, ability to accept things, um, as they are without hyper-focusing on, on them. Um, now, I'm sorry, I'm trying to gather my thoughts. Right. So he, so before maybe he was a bit more fixated and inflexible and you sort of notice and he perseverated, Very rigid. And perseverated on certain sort of thought patterns, notice some flexibility there um, mm-hmm. and to negotiate. Yes, absolutely. Um, you could give him choices and he could actually um, take select from two of them without having to still have his way. He was less rigid. Um, another thing is he kind of had bits of OCD, which again goes with the, I mean, just a little spot in his car seat or on a seat in general, and he could not sit in it. Um, those things made life difficult too, because it was, there was no way we were getting past it. So just little things like that, that always became so massive with him. Right, right. But then you noticed there was a shift in that flexibility that that wasn't so much of a big issue with him that he could kind of move past it yeah yes and another big thing is um you know my mind's everywhere at the moment but we could not go in public places without at least one to two meltdowns often three times just going in a store and that's it had gotten to the point where I wouldn't go alone with him and these are not just him on the floor upset he's aggressive with us anybody that comes near him growling at people, trying throwing things everywhere that he can get to, just keeping him safe um, and from destroying wherever we were was a huge task. Yeah. Um, and they would let, I mean, we were in stores for over an hour waiting on him to calm or would have to remove him. Um, the Another instance of that would be, or 
example of that would be restaurants. Um, you know, we always, we just, we'd have cash that we could lay on the table if we had to, which was pretty much all the time. But we tried to also take him in those environments because he wanted to go mm -hmm. and we want to help him. But, you know, trying to figure out what's right is hard. But sure. um, after the SSP, he still had problems at times, but it, we, we could go and he could do perfectly fine. And then there might be one meltdown, but even that meltdown that we would occasionally see, it was not as aggressive it was much shorter um, and then it got to a point now I mean he doesn't he doesn't have these issues in public mm -hmm. unless he's in need of a repeat which I know we'll talk about a little bit but in general I can take them anywhere uh, and another big part of that was we had to absolutely use a backpack leash I know that there are a lot of opinions that surround that but he literally was constantly trying to escape right. um, and run off. It was, yes. mm -hmm. it was a necessity. And after the SSP, his hyperactivity and his impulsivity drastically changed mm -hmm. to the point where we didn't need the backpack leash. And, you know, as we repeated it, mm -hmm. the hyperactivity and the impulsivity reduced more and more, um, repeated the SSP. But even after that first round, we were able to stop using the backpack leash. Mm -hmm. And he may run off at times, but he would always come back. He wouldn't just keep running like he would have before. It was different. Right. He, he knew that he were, you all were a place of safety. And that yes. Was, mm -hmm. process that. Yeah. And I think it's important for, you know, Alison is to, to really realize that, you know, obviously for your son, it made quite a drastic shift in his in his state regulation where he was able to shift then where he could actually start to feel safe as well but mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to know that it really is the starting point you know because I'm sure your son still had some challenges mm -hmm. after it's not like a cure-all that it starts the process of enabling other therapies to take hold or them to actually connect more um, to help with even further regulation and learning as as well, and um, and I know yeah. So you know, we'll talk about you know repeating the SSP, and for some children who have very complex issues, like your son has a you know who's very complex, that you know often repeating the intervention is 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 part of their therapeutic journey and their healing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So since we're sort of talking about repeating, um, how, how long after the first time did you look to repeat the, the protocol and what were the signs? What were the things that were making you think, I think this is time? So for him, I'm not, you know, of course it's been two years, but I would say it was around the two and a half to three month mark that I started noticing we, we need to repeat. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, he definitely doesn't see the changes, you know, most of the gains stay and seem permanent for him. Mm -hmm. um, but in the area of rigidity, that shows up first, I would say, mm -hmm. and emotional regulation, mm -hmm. um, dysregulation, um, the aggression then comes, mm -hmm. it's kind of just dwindles, dwindles back to where, not where it was, 
by uh, by far it's still so much better but it definitely gets tough <laughs> again mm -hmm. so um and then we do see anxiety sneak back into um i think that from time like if if i wait to if I wait a significant period of time before repeating, we will also see sound sensitivity. I know I didn't um, mention that he did have a major change in the sound sensitivities that he had and auditory processing. We, we used to hear constant, huh, what? Mm -hmm. uh, we thought he had hearing issues mm -hmm. um, and that all stopped after the safe and sound protocol as well. I'm glad you brought that up. It's, you know, it's, there's so many changes, it's hard to remember everything, but yes, um, that's something we saw, for sure. The major ones that really sort of jump out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and so when we repeat it, um, we've repeated maybe, I'm not even sure, but I would say about seven times in the two years. Mm -hmm. uh, we do not always do the full protocol. Um, sometimes we'll do one or two hours, maybe even less. Mm -hmm. um, and we see, we do slow it down and we don't see the same overstimulation or the same adjustment period that we saw the first time around where it got really rough um, by slowing it down. Mm -hmm. And then he comes right back to what I call his new baseline, where he's, I say he's amazing because he is, you know. Well, I've seen pictures of him that you post on the group and, yeah, he's just adorable looking. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's a bit of a, and I will get to that, he's a bit of a character as well, isn't he? He's got oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I just want to backtrack a little bit because we will be having a podcast where we'll delve in a little bit more about modifying the protocol. Um, in our very first protocol and our very first podcast we kind of explain what the protocol is in in its initial version it and based on the research was that one hour a day for five consecutive days um, but we've certainly learned a lot over the last almost two and a half years now about how we've actually needed to modify that protocol really based on on the nervous system's response and for older children who are very complex a lot of sensitivities we really sort of slow that down to match their needs, to keep them in that, that regulated state as they progress through the protocol. But yeah, so thanks for sharing that you've kind of, you've modified it over the time. So then parents who have maybe heard, you know, how sometimes some kids have had quite um, significant responses to that, that we can actually blend it and make it much slower yes. to keep it, um, you know, keep it more manageable, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, that's just another area where the group can be very helpful because yes. when I shared my son's story, I definitely shared how impactful it was at first and how, mm -hmm. it, you know, it can be scary, but that yes, it can be avoided in many cases or at least lessen. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's just another thing you learn being in the group and of course working with your practitioner, but uh, yeah. And I think just keeping it all within the whole, what we've learned from Dr. Borges' work in the polyvagal theory about keeping the autonomic nervous system in that more ventral vagal safe state, then the ear is in a more state to receive the input that's actually in the protocol as well. So, um, so keeping an eye and yet yeah, working with a practitioner that, that can help parents, you know, keep attuned to if they start to see their child 
becoming a little bit more dysregulated or anxious during the protocol, that just pause it and have a break. And that's, yes. that's great to do that. Excellent. So anything else you want to share about your son's experience with the protocol? I'm sure there is <laughs> at the moment. I'm not, the, um, as we speak, I'll probably think, oh yeah, let me tell you. Frustrating <laughs> if all of a sudden it pops into your mind, oh, I forgot to share this then, and um, then do that. So he's in school? Um, we actually homeschool him, but he does go to therapy um, four days a week. Um, and I know you've, um, have used some other complementary interventions as well. And, and as I said earlier, it's not the be all and end all that it enables other therapies to actually have some traction, some momentum. Um, and we may have another conversation another time because I know you've done some really, um, some other ones that other people may consider a little outside the box as well, but they've been very helpful. So mm -hmm. I know brain spotting. So, but I'd like to come back to that another time. So, I know one time you mentioned that you actually completed the protocol yourself. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so tell us surprisingly, about that. sorry, <laughs> surprisingly, I've only um, done it once, and that's because when I get it, I, my focus is getting it done for him, and you know, you have it for a short period of time, and I have not done it with him okay. um, because for me, I think it's not a good idea. Um, I, I, the first time I did it, or the only time I did it. Um, I did have a response to it where it kind of put me in, you know, I, I started, I don't normally experience anxiety or depression, but I did start feeling a little bit. And so I stopped it. I did just the first day. At, um, that was the first time I, I had the safe and sound protocol and did it with my son. Mm -hmm. So I stopped because I just felt like I needed to be present with him and be able to mm -hmm. be attuned with him. So I th the second or third time that I repeated it with him, I did end up repeating or doing the whole protocol myself. And that time around, I had no issues going through it at all. And I do feel like very possibly it's because my son was in a very different place. So I didn't have the same stresses that I had the first time. So, um, and then, I'm sorry. And that's what I was going to pretty much probably highlight for you probably in that beginning your world was just trying to make his world safer. And so you were probably just yes. keeping yourself together and vigilant and coping. So probably being mm -hmm. moved to that more calmer state was too vulnerable for you at that stage. Yes. Was, um, yeah. But being at that later time where you're seeing more possibilities and seeing some light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> and you're probably like, okay, I'm in a state now where I can receive this intervention and, and, and benefit from it and stuff. Yeah. And did you say? Very much so. Yeah. And what would you, did you, what did you notice in yourself? Yeah. Um, so for myself, I, I can't recall exactly when, I want to say it was in two weeks, within two weeks that I noticed, um, I have tinnitus. I noticed that mine dissolved completely. Um, I will say it has come back. I haven't repeated it, but I, I would think that it might help it again. Um, I also had what some would know as misophonia. Um, so the sound of someone chewing for me, it was chewing and saliva were 
infuriating, like an internal, <laughs> you know, of course I could control it, but it would be very hard. Um, and constant tapping was hard for me. Um, that I might recognize the noise, but it didn't, I didn't have the same uh, irritability that came about with it. So that was nice. <laughs> um, That's a your nervous system. Mm. Yes. Um, I w and I didn't notice this right away, but um, me and my husband, we had a moment. And I realized that after that moment, I did not respond to him in the same way that I would have was less defensive or I didn't feel like I had to be right or had to prove a point, if that makes sense. It, I just responded very differently to him. And um, you know, unfortunately, some of that has probably faded, but, um, but I did notice that difference. And if I were to repeat it, I'm sure I would notice it again. Um, and then another thing that I noticed for myself was um, my eating desires or habits. There was a definite shift there as well. And I know that Dr. Forges had spoke about it a couple of times um, since I and there's been a few people in the group that have noticed it as well, um, but I just didn't have the urge to snack like I usually would. Um, that, of course, faded for me as well, but um, so I do need to repeat, uh, and one day I will, but I definitely saw shifts. There's being mindful and being aware of that, but I think is when, yeah, when we look at the whole polyvagal and how all that, those cranial nerves are connected, and particularly when we're in a more anxious state, you know, our oral is a way to sort of help self-soothe and uh, as and calm as well. So that connection certainly makes sense, doesn't it? It was it was amazing to realize that because you know you hear different opinions about why people may have certain habits, but to experience it and then know the the reasoning behind it, yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, the polyvagal theory definitely gives us lots of gifts. Um, yeah. Okay, so I know we, we touched on it earlier about how your son can be quite a little character. So I don't know if you have anything off mind, but I remember a while ago you shared something that I know he says some funny, he has some funny, insightful sort of things. So do you have anything of mine that you want to share? SSP, something he sort of said? That relates with the SSP. I mean, yeah, I mean, he gives me little gems every day, but... Um, related to the SSP, I know that he has recently, he said something and I related it to the SSP. It was just after we started doing it again. We just recently re repeated. Uh -huh. And he said to me out of the blue in the car, which is where a lot of this comes from while, while we're traveling. And he says, mom, mom, um, I, I feel my, my brain feels different. It was something to this effect. Wow. Uh, my brain feels different. I said, Oh, and I said, well, how does it feel different? And he said, it just does. And I said, well, is it good, different or bad, different? And he said, good, different. And it was just after we had started doing the SSP again. And it's not the only time that he has mentioned feeling things with the SSP. Um, He's mentioned feeling waves in his brain, in his brain before, um, and then he he has shared that he loves doing the SSP um, because he makes him feel good, is what he says, you know. So, nice I, that connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I'm not. 
So let's get to a wonderful contribution that you've made and when you started the Safe and Sound Protocol Parent Facebook group. Um, so how soon after you completed the SSP that you, um, or that your son completed, that you started the group? I want to say it was at least a month. I, I want and so that's why the group I think is very helpful is the information's in one place where you can at least be directed from that one place. Mm -hmm. And there's other parents there sharing their stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's some professionals on there as well. Giving yes. Some advice as, as need be. And you just do an amazing job of responding to parents' posts and help steering them in, in the right direction as well. So you are an amazing support to, to families on that support group. So I, well, I, thank you. You're doing a great job. And I know you've established, based on that, in terms of sharing information, you've even established some resources, correct? on there as too. So can you tell us about those? Well, I'm trying, you know, I kind of do it as I can. It's so much information put together. And for a long time, I didn't feel comfortable doing it because, because I felt like it should come from a different source, but um, there's such a need because you have these, everybody has these questions and you want to provide these answers. And so um, I started saving posts to what we call the unit section of the group. And it's where you can go if you have a certain, well, one, there's a group there that um, has all the testimonials that I've saved in there from people sharing. Um, there's links to some of uh, the preferred uh, interviews with Dr. Borges that explains or talks about the SSP or your presentation from about a year ago. Just anything that we find that's helpful to the, for others, we try and add there. Uh, and you know, created a doc, I guess we could call it a document, but it's all kind of experimental and I just put it together, just trying to put the information there for others to find. Because, I mean, I know you get posts for people who just are new to the group, never heard of this information before, and it is a big learning curve in terms of yes. understanding you know, the polyvagal theory and then how this, you know, the safe and sound protocol came to be and how do I get access to it? How do I do it? You know, so it is a, a learning curve and there's lots of information because I think you've even gone as one of your units is like, where do I start? It's like a beginning unit. Yes. Space. Am I correct? Yes. Um, it's a pen post in the group, but, you know, I feel like it's so disorganized, but it's at least something for someone to start with. And yeah, I mean, just it, it is so much information to unpack and from so many different sources uh, that, yeah, it's a lot. And so I just kind of put it there and guide them there, mm -hmm. which has made uh, given me more time because it is time consuming. At first it was time consuming. Um, so now I can just guide them there, but also there's so many people in the group, professionals um, and parents that are sharing and um, answering questions. And that just makes it so much easier. And that's the beauty of the group. Yes. Yeah. They kind of support each other. So how many members, how many members do you have in the group now? Um, I think we're right around the 4,500 now, which is just yeah. crazy. It keeps on growing it. 
people, everybody, because anybody that does this, they feel they have to share. You can't, it's something you just can't share, can't not share. So yeah, it spreads. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, I didn't realize you'd got up to so. <laughs> yeah. And what would you feel are the main members? Is it mainly like parents with children on the spectrum or trauma? Or do you feel like you do have a mix of some adults in there or with who have a history of neurological or trauma backgrounds? What do you? It's definitely a mix. Um, I would say it's probably way off, but I would say it's half, half. Um, parents with um, children that have the autism spectrum disorder or um, those from trauma backgrounds, um, mostly adoptive parents to, you know, on the other half. And then, of course, you ha we have a lot of providers, which is such a great resource for us because they're able to share their information, their knowledge. And so, I mean, it's, it's really a mixture. I would love to see more. There are definitely adults in there because the parents use it on the, themselves and the providers are using it on themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but I would love to see more of a population of adults that are coming with a PTSD type background because I know there's, well, I mean, we all know that it, there's such a need out there and um, just somebody that could reach out to that group yeah. would be amazing. And I think what, what I'm hoping to get through these podcasts that, you know, often people were like, well, I have this diagnosis or that diagnosis. Well, is it going to help me when really the intervention is really going beyond diagnosis and looking at what it helps to make changes in that underlying autonomic nervous system that we all um, need to be able to you know, have regulated to help keep us healthy, biologically healthy, but also by our mental health um, healthy as well. So even though some people do go looking for information based on diagnoses, but um, hoping that we can sort of capture the ones who, who have certain diagnoses like fibromyalgia and um, that people won't necessarily put the link to a protocol like this can be of help, that fibromyalgia is often... Uh, a biological stress model that's now impacting your immune system that creates a lot of the, you know, symptomology that sort of develops as well. So, um, and we have seen testimonials um, on the fibromyalgia and there are a few. Um, and we've seen another surprising one for me was non-apoplectic seizures. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen a testimonial on that as well. Um, but, you know, I think the reason why there's a big base um, of parents with children with autism and the trauma background is because those are the groups that I was connected to. And so that's where it was shared. And then it continues to be shared. So it's kind of slower getting to the other areas, right. at least for the group. Right, right. So what would you say has been some really interesting discoveries that you've made through what people have posted on the group? Um. Early on, I think for me, it was um, what my son experienced as far as his adjustment period with the doing the safe and sound protocol, just realizing that it wasn't as rare as it was thought to be when it comes to those that have the trauma background, at least. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was something um, that I learned. 
and was able to share. Um, also, just that there's so much hope out there with these neurological approaches, neurobiological approaches, mm -hmm. and um, it's important that we share that because it does, it, 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 if we take the time and we research and we look into these different therapies, there's great changes that could take place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So since we're still talking about the Facebook group, I know different people post different stories, but I know you posted some pictures of your son's handwriting at one stage. Yeah, so tell us about that. Yes. So one thing, I'm not even sure exactly when it shifted. It was definitely after the first round of SSP. Within a month's time, I realized that his handwriting was very different. And that was just because you know, he, I saw a piece of his work and I was like, whoa, this is, you know, and so I looked at some more of his work to see if it, it was just as um, neatly written and it was. And so I realized that his handwriting changed drastically. Um, I now realize that he probably had some type of processing disorder with that as well, something like um, a dysgraphia. I, I'm just not sure at this moment, but I see a lot of other children um, have had the same results and they had dysgraphia. Um, also coloring before the safe and sound protocol, he would literally just scribble. Um, he had after about two or three years of practicing with his coloring, um, he would scribble different colors over each object, um, you know, and have different colors, but it would still just be complete scribble. And then suddenly he's coloring inside the lines not only was he in coloring inside the lines, but he would fill in the whole picture. It was just a drastic change there as well. And that kind of goes along with him drawing. Now he loves to draw. These are things that he never would have done before. Yeah. So, yeah. A very great way to track, as you see, more integration happening in the nervous system. It gets more calm, more focused. That eye-hand coordination comes online. It's a great representation of what sort of shifts and changes that we're seeing happening in that nervous system. I'll often with my clients keep a picture sort of diary um, because it really speaks to what's, what's happening. So I'm glad that, mm -hmm. you did that. And I know later on in one of our later podcasts when we're, um, we have Doreen Hunt on that she often talks about how fine motor and visual motor integration skills are seeing shifts and changes with that as well after the protocol. So, um, so I'm glad that you shared that because the brain is so, it's so complex and it's so connected that often we see shifts and changes and other things that we weren't necessarily expecting to see um, no. as well. So now I just want to shift gears to talk about the Safe and Sound um, gathering that, that happened in April in Florida this year. And that's where you and I had the opportunity to actually meet in person, which was uh -huh. so lovely. So the gathering was almost like a little was like a conference where practitioners came together who uh, have been using the Safe and Sound Protocol. There was all different themes from research to case studies, but there was quite a bit of information and networking that occurred during that. And I just wanted to see you, know, you had an opportunity to do a live Facebook presenta presentation with um, Dr. Porges and just... Yeah, tell us a little bit about that experience. Um, I love to 
going and meeting so many of the people that I've been conversing with online and that have been helping with the groups that that was really amazing and of course meeting Dr. Porges being able to thank him in person for everything that he's done um the live Facebook feed was a question and answer session between him and his son Seth Porges mm -hmm. and um you know they tried to answer as many questions as they could and they would think it was 30 minutes time and oh how we would love to have a, a longer session with him right um Wow. But, uh, yeah, so it was just nice that he was able to focus on some of the questions that people had uh, and parents mm. had in the group. And then when I got to be um, there on stage with him, share my story a little bit with him, mm. and just, again, thank him. And we presented a gift to him that was from, um, you know, it had uh, pictures of some of the kids that their lives were truly transformed because of him. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a nice thank you for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a lovely man, isn't he? Definitely. He, he, he makes you feel very comfortable when you're talking to him. Yeah. So one of the things we've got planned is that we're going to be launching a podcast in the next week or so and then um, putting it out there through different Facebook groups and through ILS for people to send in their questions, families, individuals, anyone send in their questions. So then when um, I have Stephen on specifically just, just to focus on the protocol, then we can ask those questions that families have put in as well. So That'll be amazing. Yes, it'll be good. I'm getting, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be um, exciting for us to really, I mean, I just want to dig into, you know, what was his, thinking in that led him to go down the acoustic world and start to yeah, really have him unravel a lot in terms of how he come to, to develop the protocol. So I'm excited to hear that. So if you were to give any advice to families or individuals considering to do the, the protocol, what do you think that would be? To start with learning about the polyvagal theory so that you have a basis. I think that most parents that need this intervention for their child, when they read the polyvagal theory, they'll have aha moments and they're going to want to learn more. And then, of course, learning about how and why the SSP can help make such drastic changes for some people. Um, you'll just have that better background knowledge of why um, it would be so effective. Um, just taking the time to do that and then just in doing your research, be it on the group looking at um, testimonials along with all the studies and just putting it all together so that you know that, I guess because the Safe and Sound Protocol can seem unbelievable to many if you just hear oh it's five hours of listening you'll have a better understanding as to why those changes can happen with those five hours of listening right and i know you've got some nice as we spoke about earlier you've got some nice resources where families could start on the parent facebook group but another nice starting point that i like to give some families is is the pocket guide to the polyvagal yes nice yes easy read and description and kind of 
puts it in terms where people kind of really connect with that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's lots of YouTube videos, but sometimes you're not really sure where to start. Yes. Um, I think if, you, if you're a reader, I think that's a, the pocket guide is a really nice way to Absolutely. Um, when I read about the Safe and Sound Protocol on the ILS website, I immediately ordered the pocket guide and I had it and I read right through it because, again, once you make you start reading and you, you get those aha moments and connections, you will read right through that book and it's very la- relatable and it's easy to understand and it just gives you a great background knowledge of what it is and how even though it doesn't talk about the safe and sound protocol, it'll give you that that base where you can understand why it's. It has a little, a, a small section on it, um, but yeah, but pretty much it gives you that base and stuff. And I think, and I think what's important and what my goal is through these podcasts as well is that that we can all embrace the polyvagal theory within our own cells because it helps us understand our own autonomic nervous system and how we respond in different environments and, and how we can learn to regulate that within ourselves. But it helps us then through the whole understanding of that social engagement system of how we connect with our, with our family and how we can use the theory to help, you know, optimize and keep your family as healthy and connected and socially engaged and, and, um, and that framework really does support, um, I think, optimal outcomes for the protocol as, as well. So um, I think I totally agree that I think it's, it's important to learn about both. Don't just think I've just got to learn about the protocol and it's like a technician and just go do it, that the theory really does support um, a deeper understanding and, and getting maximal outcomes, I think. Mm-hmm. And understanding why during the protocol, having those connections, um, being right there and being present and attuned, mm-hmm. um, having that knowledge, the knowledge of the polyvagal theory will be helpful in understanding why that's so important too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we are almost getting towards the end. So is there anything else that you would like to share? Anything that that's popping into your mind or something that we, that, that you'd hope that would cover didn't or? Um, I can't think of anything at the moment, you know. Um, I just, I would like to say a big thank you to everyone that helps in the group, um, including you, Doreen, all the providers. There's so many that contribute. And um, it not only makes it a great place to, a positive and supportive place to be, but it makes it possible, so. Just thank you to everyone. Yeah, and Kimberly, I want to thank you too because what you've put together and the resources and support, I mean, you helped to create that connected environment, which has been a resource. And, and I know we haven't really shared, but um, you were a big help to me as well. So as people know that I'm um, doing my PhD, also investigating the Safe and Sound Protocol and Obviously, I have my accent, and so people know that I'm in Australia. And um, and Kimberly was so kind to go on some of the uh, autism parent groups, which are closed groups, and tell her story about the, the Safe and Sound Protocol and then provide connections to my research so we could help to 
and time more participants because in research it's always tricky to get participants so so Shu, you i want to say thank you for your help for doing that because it helped a lot <laughs> definitely helped a lot yeah you're very welcome you know any opportunity to share and i'm excited so excited to see results from all these studies that are going on so yeah it'll be so exciting yeah it'll be amazing thank you for your time today and thank you so much for sharing it's just it's a pleasure to speak to you and i'm sure we'll have you on again down the down the track and you know, we're excited to share this information thank you for the opportunity all right have see a you later. Night. I'd like to thank Kimberly for coming on the podcast today. Her Facebook group is Safe and Sound Protocol in brackets SSP dash parent info period forum. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at sspodcast1 at gmail.com. Again, the email is sspodcast the number one at gmail.com. Any feedback or even ideas for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks.